Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Founder Pack Podcast, where your host, Brendan Rod, brings startup stories from experienced founders and other functional experts to help current and future founders get inspired and grow their knowledge with quick tactical insights. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey Alejandro, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brendan, for having me. How is your week going so far? It's very busy, which is really good. Yeah, you were just telling me you haven't had a break in <laughs> since the holidays. It's been over a month now, working nights and weekends, but um, we're getting there. <laughs> what has been keeping you up at night? What's been going on in your world? Yeah, so year-end is really where a lot of business owners start to think about, you know, their financials or even if they they don't even have financials like they're actually a set of books because they need to file for taxes so that becomes a really busy time for us because they come to us for taxes right but at the end we look at everything and if the financials the books are not where they're supposed to be to even file taxes and we need to do a huge year cleanup so I'm leading a lot of projects with cleanups, then filing taxes. And also we have some clients that have problems with the IRS or, you know, like any uh, California Department of Taxation, or there's just so many little things that we got to resolve all at once before. So it, it becomes busy for us. Got you. I'm pretty excited to dive into the topic at hand today, how best to manage your finances as a startup. But before we jump into the episode, would you mind just kind of sharing a bit about you, your background, and maybe I'll push you for a fun fact as well to break the ice. Oh, of course. I am Alejandra Santos. I am the CEO and founder of Startup Tandem. We're actually entering our third year now. Very exciting things for us. Reminiscing on like when the first day I started this company and now we're almost entering third year. It's like unreal. But my background is 15 years in accounting and finance. I graduated in finance and then with the economy crash back in 2008, I kind of did a few pivots just because finance was not a very stable industry at the time. And we basically, I basically did a more of a pivot into corporate finance, small business owners, industries, big businesses as well, enterprises, and kind of work internal, working on their financials. So that's where my journey started. But it wasn't until I came to California in 2014, where I fell in love with the startup and entrepreneurship world. Because back in the day, I mean, right now is def definitely different, but back in the day, entrepreneurship and startups was not a very big thing in the East Coast. And I come from the East Coast in the South. So West Coast had it already going and I fell in love. I fell in love as an internal employee to many small company startups. And then I also fell in love as a consultant working for a big competitor, what is a big competitor of mine now. And I used to be an employee there. And just by having that knowledge of being an, an employee internal to a company startup that's growing and emerging growing business, and then also having that consultant background as well, working for my competitor, working for these companies, I came to realize exactly what the needs were as a small business owner or just an entrepreneur launching a new idea, product, service here in America coming from other countries. So Startup Tandem was created to cater to those individuals and to the small business owners to help them in all things compliance, in all things scaling. We do a lot of growing with our uh, partners. We grow our companies in the portfolio because 
at the end of the day, right, if they grow, then we grow with them. So that's exactly what we do. That's exactly my background. I've been part of a few um, minor acquisitions as well in my past life. So I have that experience in my belt, but um, I'm always interacting with investors. So that VC advising, VC consulting is another thing that we also like to to help our business owners with. That's awesome. And one last question before we dive in, would you mind sharing like a quick fun fact about yourself that you may or may not have shared before? Okay, uh, fun fact. I moved to America when I was 17 without telling my parents. I basically, yeah, and I was underage. So wow. uh, yeah, I came to America with, yes, but I, and then they like, I mean, it was a period of time there that it was really weird. But uh, yes, I stayed here and I made a, a living out of it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we can have a, a whole other podcast on that story. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that you I mean, because you you told me that you were not from America either, right? We can both relate that we come from different countries, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My private joke with my friends is that I'm a new age gypsy. I've traveled and lived in many countries and many passports. Same. I, I, I share that. Gypsy all the way. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm excited to get into the meat of the show today. We were talking offline and we, we put together like a nice framework for today's episode. So when you get brought in to do your work, what are like some of the nightmare findings when you go into a company to clean up their financials? Yeah, so that's a, uh, those are a good questions. So one of the reasons why I am a firm believer on, you know, getting yourself situated from the start is because when you, when you, when you come in with your really messy financials or books into an agency or someone in general, you're going to pay a lot more money than what would you could have saved being on top of it. Because what we find when we open these books is, is outrageous. I mean, I have seen re revenue being um, misstated, either overstated or understated. And that's a big, that's a big part of business, right? Like if you don't have your revenue together, uh, I have seen, uh, vendors that are getting paid with different kind of payment uh, methods like Zelle, Venmo. I have seen so many things. I have seen tax returns that are filed with their financials from someone else. So that means that we have to reopen that's with the IRS and, you know, yeah, and do a whole new cleanup for previous years as well. It's just really, you know, the things that we see are, are alarming. Are, they're, they're problems that we can solve, but they're problems that are expensive to solve, that take time to solve. And, you know, some of these companies that I see, they already have problems with the IRS that come to us. So that's a huge other thing to solve that is huge, right? Like it's not an easy, now you have the federal agency on you. So when I say be on, on top of your game from the beginning, I, I really mean it because you don't want it to get to a level where your business can get shut down because you're not doing the right steps. Like who do you typically see taking charge of the financials in like early stage companies? Yeah, I mean, if... If they have a set of financials, that's one thing, right? Most business owners operate with their bank statements and their credit card statements, and they don't really have a set of books to even go by. So that's what I see, right? I see business owners with their bank statements, credit card statements, and they just do it for filing taxes, and they don't have a set of books. And if they do have a set of books, then they are the ones that are taking the day-to-day -day operations. And that I'm not even going to say the day-to-day. -day. Maybe they do maintenance once a month or once a year or quarter or whatever it is, right? So 
And then sometimes they go to, to another agency that they don't know what they're doing and they do the work wrong and they pay for something that is wrong that we have to go ahead and refix for them. So uh, I actually, out of all those options, I think that one will be the worst because at that point you're already trusting your 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 business with someone because you want to make things right and you're paying someone to do it right and at the end it's not right at all. You said something that I found interesting, which I want to drill down into for a few minutes. What is the problem with paying vendors using different payment methods? What are the do's and don'ts? Yeah, so do's and don'ts. So this is about, this is what ties up about having a good accounting infrastructure. That's exactly what it is, like having a place, a, a process, a methodology. So what happens is that you have to, for example, January 31st is coming around the corner. You know, we have this deadline every year. And as an employer, as a business owner, you have to give your contractors 1099s in order for them to file their taxes. If you don't do that, then you get penalized. But what happens is that when you pay people with cash or with Zelle or with Venmo, a lot of that information data gets lost. And then you don't have a proper processing place to collect vendors W9s or, you know, to even see invoices from them to see exactly what you paid for. You probably know on top of your head, but if you give this to someone else and they ask you, so what is this $500 for? Oh, I don't know, some expense there. So you don't have the, at that point, you don't have the right processing place. In order to collect W-9s, you cannot file 1099s and meet your deadlines, which is a big no-no with the IRS. And then, you know, you can get flagged as a business owner, get penalties. So many things can happen out of one little mistake. And then you don't even know exactly where, where the money went, right? So if you don't know where the money went, how can you make proper decisions moving forward with your business? What are some things that early stage companies should look out for when interviewing a potential agency to take care of their books for them? What are some red flags and questions they should ask these folks in order to trust that they're going to do the right thing for their business or that they're competent in their line of work? Yes, that's a good question. So I come from a lot of agencies. I have done this <clears throat> a lot. I mean, most of my career I've been a consultant, you know, more than an internal employee. But um, what I have seen is stay away from those companies that give you billable hours. That is a big thing in our industry. Um, Startup Tandem is all about flat retainers, right? Because to us, it's more about the value bringing to your table. We're not really counting hours on how many meetings we do and things like that. Companies that agencies that do charge billable hours for the most part, because I've worked with a handful of them, a lot of that billable hour that passes to you is really not is time spent on your file. Sometimes people are needed to meet quotas in those agencies. So they just bill time to whoever client just to meet those milestones within the company. So that's a big no-no. The other one I would say is you should get a free consultation before you sign with anybody. So just break the company apart, ask the right questions about how, what makes it so different than what I'm doing right now. Tell them exactly what you want to see in your financials, explain to them their business, your business model and see how they can relate the business model to what you, your actual need is. And these are very broad questions, but a big rule of thumb, if you compare agencies side by side, you could probably make a very good knowledgeable decision because you could take what each agency is telling you and research it and see exactly what makes more sense for you, right? Always research anybody's answers and as well, stay away from billable hours. That would be my number one advice. 
To wrap up on this, what what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of hiring a full-time FTE to do this versus an agency? Is it cost or are there other benefits of working with an agency over cost? So definitely cost because you get a whole team for a fraction of the price that you would get I mean, for employing full-time, another one would be employee management. Employee management is one of the hardest things to do as a business owner. It is the hardest part of my job. It is the hardest part for anybody that's sitting in that seat. So you don't have to spend your time managing employees. Now you only can talk to an agency that's already managing their employees for you. The other one is the expertise that comes with it. I mean, at least with us, you don't get just one person. You get a whole team of people, you know, that we connect with one another, talk with one another. So there is that expertise of people coming from different backgrounds, different industries that can give a new perspective in what you're doing with your business. Well, when you hire, you know, your full staff, then you're very limited, right? You're only limited to that person's to that person's perspective, to that person's way of thinking. You don't get like a whole uh, holistic view on any issues or problems that you want to solve. As an early stage company, there would be a lot less bookkeeping than, you know, a larger organization. So how do you adjust your pricing model if it's not billable hours? How does the industry charge and how do you charge? Yeah, you know, it depends on the client needs, honestly, because even though you're thinking a startup doesn't need a lot of handholding, they actually, they're the ones that need the most handholding, especially if they're scaling a business. Like most of the conversations that I have with business owners is about how can I open up a new revenue stream? What is that going to look like? How can I do, how can I have more cash flow? What is that going to look like? You know, so it's not only bookkeeping because they actually need more of a CFO kind of presence in order to help them make the right decisions strategically. So it really depends on exactly what the need is for the business at the time. But if, for example, somebody just wants um, and we don't like to pride on saying bookkeeping because we don't just do day-to-day bookkeeping and then leave you hanging. We're actually a full accounting cycle. Like we're going to do the reconciliations. We're going to do the AR, the AP, everything. And then we're going to have monthly meetings to tell you exactly where you are with your numbers. Like that's the ex- that kind of service that will provide value to your business and as you as a business owner. So for somebody like that, you know, it really depends on the industry. For example, industries that are in inventory or they're sell manufacturing products or they have an e-commerce platform, those kind of industries are a little bit more complex because now at the time, now you're managing products, now you're managing SKUs, you're managing cost of goods sold, right? So there's a little bit more complicated task. So that could be a little bit pricier than somebody that comes in and just sells services to, to other clients, you know, another agency that doesn't in- required inventory but it does require management of contracts right it, re- it requires it's a different level of attention so industry-wise i basically price by industry right that's the number one and number two is where are they in their growth level that would be another one because somebody that's already that's making 500k a year it's not going to be the same treatment as somebody making seven seven million a year right like it's a completely different approach now the needs are different the tasks are more complex And then also what I was telling you, where you are in your infrastructure, like, do we have to set up a new infrastructure for you? Do you have something that we can already use for you, right? Um, And then also because the infrastructure is huge. The infrastructure is the one, setting up the infrastructure is the one that's going to 
lower cost on the on the long run, right? Because that will simplify the processes and streamline the processes, right? And then also industry. Industry is a huge player on pricing. Gotcha. And then earlier in the conversation, we were talking about compliance and compliance regulations that founders may not be aware of. Do, do you have a list of things that they should really pay attention to? And are there certain things that you see not being adhered to over and over again? Yeah, so compliance is a big board. I see compliance issues in a lot of different things, like filing your taxes is one of them. You know, people don't file their taxes at all. I have clients that haven't filed their taxes for three years, which is really interesting to me. But that's one compliance. You know, another one would be when you're hiring employees, there's a lot of compliance that goes with that, especially with the new world that we're living now where everything is hybrid or remote and you have the opportunity to hire employees from like different states. There is so much compliance that gets done with multi-state hiring. It's unreal how much the states require from you with all these agencies. Another big piece of compliance would be, you know, if you are like, for example, uh, needing money from investors and you have investors in your company, the big piece of compliance right there that founders miss, and we know it because we see it in the news all the time, is provide the financials to investors. So compliance goes both ways, but it is definitely the founder's liability to, you know, if they don't provide those financials and make their due diligence and provide performance that are accurate, right, as well. That's another piece of compliance. You have to make sure that you are presenting accurate future numbers and the assumptions are actually very accurate as well. So compliance is a very broad word, like I'm saying, but these are the things that I am I'm seeing when you're hiring, terminating employees is a big piece as well. You have to make sure that you're documenting everything and that you have like a process flow or a performance improvement program before you let them go. Uh, all of those little pieces, processes are, are all part of compliance. When you're getting into a bank loan situation, you got to meet those compliance requirements. So compliance is, it's, it's our word of the day every day. Can you give like an example of how you should follow the rules when hiring and onboarding an employee, for example? So one of the big things that people do not do is background checks, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> we have this conversation. I actually have a podcast next week about, about this topic because you hire people and this, a lot of people out there do not lift the phone to call the references or to even use the background software where they can see that what they said in the interview is actually true. Um, so that's the big piece when you're hiring people make sure that you are meeting all, you know, checklist items like background check, make sure we do actually, we go the extra mile for our clients and internally we provide personality test, conflict management test. We may, we do personality tests according to the position. So if I am hiring a system engineer, you know, it will be very different than I'm hiring a marketer person, right? Because the personality has to be so different and it has to be matching to its position. We do also as well, like I said, the background check. We, if, so, if we're hiring a CPA, which is something that we do a lot, we check on their licenses, right? Is the license active or, you know, it's inactive now, right? Or an enroll agent as well, we do the same thing. So it, when it comes to hiring, make sure that you're doing, you're checking all of those big items on your checklist. And then when it comes to onboarding people, make sure that, you know, one of the things that 
the companies and small business owners do fail. And it's because we're small and we think we don't need those kind of things, but you should have an employee handbook that actually says what you allow and not allow in your company. And that is the moment that you give that book to your employee, they have been told what they are not allowed to do and what they're allowed to do. So it make them sign those kind of things, right? Make them sign that for them to, for you to have proof that you have provided this document to them. And then just kind of like when you're onboarding, make sure that you're doing a really neat onboarding process where they know about your company, they know about your processes you have in place. If you use time tracking tools, how do you pay people? What do they need? For, what do you need from them to pay them? Do you need they need to put their time in or do you manually put the time in there for them? You know, all of these little details that we miss are the ones that will, uh, you know, set us for success. If we have to terminate someone, that's another big thing as well. If you're in California, you're in for a treat because California, as an employer, you can get sued so fast. I cannot say it enough. It's, it's free for employees to sue their employers. It's free. Attorneys, they're just there to help you sue their employers. So... What you need to do with that is really do it with an HR person, document everything. I have been yelled, you know, I I mean, there's so many different scenarios that I can talk about that happens when you terminate someone, but just meeting those little checklist items, documentation, and having somebody by your side makes a big difference. And I think this segues nicely into the importance of accounting infrastructure. Would you help us to find the components of like a well-established accounting infrastructure? Yeah. So in, with any infrastructure, and I'm going to not only touch on this one, but like with any infrastructure, we build the business and finance infrastructure of, of small organizations. And um, what that means basically is what we, we talked a lot about human resources, hiring. That's exactly what it is. You know, building that infrastructure where you have all the processes, employee handbook policies in place before moving forward with any kind of operational activity in your organization. When it comes to accounting, it's about having your vendor processes in place. Like I said, having a software, getting invoices, getting W9s, making payments through the software. When you're invoicing customers as well, making sure you invoice them from one platform, they pay you from one way, one like one platform as well, either QuickBooks or Stripe or whatever it is. And you give them options, but you're very consistent with the setup that you're not all over the place grumbling and, you know, just as things come in, you have to be very organized. When it comes to finance infrastructure, it means make sure that you have all the templates that you need. Are you managing cash? Are you managing your profit and loss? Are you managing things that you're going to buy in the future? How are you How are you tracking those purchases? Is that something that you were really in the budget or is that something that you wing out of nowhere and now we have to get the money from somewhere else, right? Are you managing what your cash runway is? Like that's a big one for a lot of small business owners because they burn a lot through cash. So having the right tools in place, right? Having the right system, softwares in place and having the right expertise, knowledge from other areas, all employees is what was going to set the infrastructure for you internally or with somebody else externally. And here's an interesting question, I think. With the recession upon us, like we're pretty deep into it at the moment, what are some trends that you're seeing that are maybe not sort of talked about in the media, seeing as though you're on the front lines doing this every day? How how has the recession changed people's accounting and financials and strategies? So it's really interesting. So because of the recession, because of COVID, 
there's more e-commerce businesses now than there were before. So it's in, in a good note, we have growth, right, of business owners, in, especially in my field. Because for me, e-commerce is my bread and butter. I love e-commerce. We have the right softwares and tools in place to simplify processes for them. And we have the right partners as well. So that is our bread and butter when it comes to, to our portfolio, not to say that we shy away from other industries. But as well, there's a lot of changes happening right now with the IRS which is the IRS is getting more funding now this year. So which means they're going to be faster at doing their due diligence. And that's when a lot of small business owners will get notices from the IRS to get their stuff together. So opportunities for us to help them solve those problems. Like, so have you given clients any sort of specific advice on how to make their runway last longer in this recession that we're in? That's where it comes down to having that infrastructure. We always look at the big drivers of cash burn, right? We always, I like to divide, I like to break down the cash flow and look at the cash flow on a weekly basis, especially for a company that is managing tight cash budgets. I would 100% advise to do a weekly 13-week cash flow model where you're putting all your bank activities, credit card activities, everything you want in this huge, tremendous spreadsheet. But from there, you can identify what the big drivers are of your expenditure, right? And then from there, we can identify if those costs make sense or not, right? Like, for example, right now we're doing a few headcounts, uh, headcount shorted. So basically, we're letting go of people from some companies, unfortunately, because they're shrinking their businesses. For other companies, they're, you know, making their business bigger. So they're buying more product. They're bringing more product from other countries. So that means that cash is going to be a little bit tighter because they're paying more duties and more, you know, container fees. So those are the things that we do as fractional CFO. We identify drivers and we analyze the drivers. Are those necessary? Can we get rid of them? Or how can we manage that cash flow better? Do we need a line of credit? Do we need uh, another working capital solution that can help you extend your runway at good terms? Because you're probably risky when you're small company, startup owner, you're definitely one of the riskier investments out there. So you probably won't get really good rates, especially with this economy, right? So we identify the drivers, we provide solutions, either cutting costs or working capital solutions. Uh, and then we create kind of like a, like a forward plan, right? Like, where are we going to be? That's why I say 13 weeks, where are we going to be three months from now with this new plan? Can, where are we going to be with cash? When is my bank ending balance going to go negative? Because that's a big one. If we stick to the plan, where are we going negative? Um, and if we say, you know, well, in six months, we're going to go negative. Okay, so we need to start thinking ahead. Should we bring more revenue? How can we bring more revenue? Do we need to spend more money? Or should we bring uh, equity financing? You know, or should we get an investor involved? Maybe they can inject some capital into the business <laughs> and that's there's a couple things there that also sparked a few follow-up questions but maybe i won't ask all of them but one that i think i should ask is how important is having good books when you're looking for your next round of funding either your first round or your second round which one it's like more critical oh you from the beginning guys if anybody out there is asking for someone to put money in their business please have your financials ready. It's like someone inviting you to their house and you come to their house and their house is a mess. They have like dishes everywhere, clothes everywhere. So from the beginning, I think due diligence, 
to investors is something that needs to be stressed out more. I mean, we see it in the news, people defrauding investors, but it goes both ways. I always say it goes both ways. One of them should do their due diligence as the other one should provide the material to do the due diligence. I, I guess there's a little bit of flexibility and empathy from the investors, like understanding that your tight lean ship, they probably don't expect pristine books, but I guess it does help put you on a, a good trajectory with the relationship and it helps maybe build a little more trust. It's so easy to just get it all clean up, you know, and put categorize and everything. So yeah, it, sh it, sh it should be kind of like the norm. And then perhaps to wrap up here, for, for companies that may not be able to afford to bring someone in full time or even to work with an agency, what are like the bare minimum things that a company should get right that they can manage by themselves? Yeah, so that's a good question. So infrastructure is number one. Don't be messy with your infrastructure. That's a basic thing. Just like sending an email to your vendors and say, hey, guys, listen, send me emails to this email address, invoices to this email address, and uh, I will make payment this way only, or you can make payment this way only, and that's how we go. You know, Very simple. You don't need a lot of tools, but just having that process in place goes a long way. And then be organized. You know, organization, I think it's key. Save your Save everything in one folder, you know, by name, by just organization. And once you're ready to hire and bring someone in, in house, then that's a e super easy way to onboard a new agency or an employee into your company. You already have done most of the legwork, which is as simple as creating a process flow and being organized. Awesome. Well, yeah, that, that sounds like a fairly simple and easy thing to do. <laughs> Super simple, right? <laughs> so again, this has been great. I really learned a lot from you in this short space of time. If anybody would like to like further pick your brain on some of the topics we covered today, where's the best place for people to reach out and connect with you? Yes, thank you. So you can reach me anywhere. Honestly, we are all over on all social media outlets. But myself, you can have me. You can send me an email at alejandra@startuptandem.com. That's where you can directly reach out. And then from there, you know, you probably will have access to my calendar and myself and all of that. But yeah, we are in all social platform. Uh, link, if you want to see what we're up to, LinkedIn is a very big one for us. Twitter, we're starting to put more content in TikTok and in Instagram. And then we also do a lot of workshops and events and podcast appearances. So and that would also be laid out in the website, startuptandem.com. So if you ever want to reach Great. Well, thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciated the conversation and wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Brandon, for having me. This has been so much fun. <laughs> thank you. You've been a great guest. Have a good one. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Founder Pack podcast with Brendan Rod, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share the channel and itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.